Subcutanean. This is a novel that changes for every new reader. No two copies are ever quite the same. This podcast is an unabridged recording of the version generated by Seed 01893. Chapter 8 So it's progress, right? Nico was saying. We were in the funny-shaped room behind the closet with the never-to-be-completed board game, dust gathering on unresolved plans for world domination. We'd moved all our expedition gear in here. We didn't want to explain things to anyone else, and the rest of the housemates had forgotten this room even existed. I rubbed the ugly bruise wringing my ankle, sitting on the grimy hardwood floor with my pant leg rolled up. Progress? I winced, prodding an especially tender spot. The first concrete sign there's something down there. Not glints of light, not sounds, something physical. Yeah, reassuring. He conceded the point, slumping down next to me. But why now? What brought this on? Is the maze forbidden? Did we violate some kind of rule? Marking our way. What? I sniffled. It's the first time we've tried to leave a permanent trail, something unambiguously marking the way back. Maybe whatever it is... Ugh. It still felt awful to verbalize it, give it that kind of legitimacy, that kind of power. Maybe I didn't like that. What about the spilled coffee? That's kind of a marker. We didn't get in trouble for that, and it didn't disappear or anything. Maybe whatever's down there doesn't want us exploring the crawlways, because they lead to something, something big. He punched the wall, suddenly angry. Who fucking knows? None of it makes any goddamn sense. That'll go on our tombstones, a week from now, when we're dead of dimension poisoning. Cheering him up, making him laugh, was so ingrained in me I barely noticed I was doing it anymore. Maybe I shouldn't have been. It wasn't exactly a situation to be cheerful about. Do I do it because I really want him to be happy? Or is it just that I can't stand it when he's sad? I'm not going down there again, he said with grim finality. Neither of us said anything for a long minute. Okay, fine, I am. You're right, you win. We find a way back, somehow. There's monsters up here, too, I said softly. He sniffed. Or maybe we're the monsters, man. Crawled out from under the bed. We decided to explore the vertical shafts instead of going back into the crawlways. We didn't know whether what had happened was a message or a provocation. I thought the bruises on my ankle were message enough keep out. Nico argued that was exactly why we should ignore them. Wherever they don't want you to go is probably the most interesting place to be. On the other hand, maybe the message had been like the fences around Chernobyl. Maybe whatever was farther in was worse. So we settled on the shafts, which had the virtue of being unusual and promising terrain without even mild signs of demonic infestation. One of Nico's ex-hobbies was rock climbing, but he'd stopped after the accident jacked up his wrists. Bits of gear still lingered around his overstuffed bedroom, though, so we'd assembled some rope, harnesses, carabiners, and a couple of grappling hooks we found at the sporting goods store. The box called them Grapple Buddies, which seemed incongruously cheerful. Nico took me up into the canyons to teach me some climbing and test the Grapple Buddies. It felt strange to leave the house, breathe hot air and smell external things, outside things, moss and leaves and rain. Climbing didn't come naturally to me, but Nico was patient and a good teacher, and knew his knots and technique. By the time we were loading our packs for the next expedition, I felt reasonably confident I wouldn't immediately kill us both. We picked the first pit, since they all seemed about the same, and set about securing the grapples in a door jam in a way that would hold our weight. We'd each go down on our own rope, one at a time, and using the second as backup. We also had extra grapple buddies in our pack in case something happened to these. Along with the usual gear, we also brought down a camcorder. 
We were too broke to afford the newer all-digital cameras, so we borrowed one that shot on Hi8 tape. This was before the whole found footage craze, so we didn't think to take the camera down the pit with us and record weepy confessionals into it. We were going to leave it down the hall from the shaft, trained on the pit, in our ropes, and the grapple buddies, hopefully capturing anything that tried to mess with us. When we were ready, and since we didn't have a tripod, I left the camera on the floor a dozen paces back, pointed at the pit, and hit record. We shouldered our packs and Nico tied onto the rope. Moving carefully, he stepped over the lip and started to rappel down the carpeted floor of the shaft. I watched his grapple nervously, but it held his weight, tines dug firmly into the solid wood of the doorframe. The bottom of the shaft seemed a mile down, especially with Nico dangling above it, but probably only dropped about 70 feet. He moved quickly and soon was stepping onto the once again horizontal carpet at the bottom. He shined his light back up at me and gave the all clear. I followed him down, trying to think only in particulars about what was happening and not the terrifying big picture. I focused on what Nico had taught me, what my hands were doing. One thing at a time. Presently, I'd made it down too. The hall at the bottom of the pit stretched off to either side, like we were at the junction of an upside-down T. Detaching from our dangling ropes, we picked a direction and began to explore. Things got weird down there. The hallways continued on as they had above, and there were more pits, but now they didn't go straight down, not quite. They descended at angles ranging from severe to subtle, never quite true to vertical. Some were almost ramps. Others changed their angle or gradually twisted as they dropped. And while the pit we just rappelled down was lit, none of these were. All of them plunged down into darkness. There were more of them, too. A lot more. Maybe hundreds. Most opened from the middle of a hallway, filling its width. Easy to jump across, but wearing a pack you felt clumsy, were acutely aware you were only one stumble away from a very bad time. We decided to avoid unnecessary leaps, but the pits were so thick they hedged us in, pushed us inexorably in certain directions. If we tried to veer too far off course, they'd get denser, and we'd have to backtrack or turn aside, angling back towards our former heading. And the farther we went that way, the more the hallway angles edged off true. It was subtle at first, but the horizontal hallways were getting less and less level. We'd stumble on a floor that canted slightly left or tilted a half degree up or down. The walls, too, were growing angled, some leaning outward a degree or two instead of staying neatly parallel or bent slightly inward at mismatched angles. It made us feel drunk. You've seen so many well-constructed hallways in your life, your brain doesn't know how to process ones that don't behave. We passed through one long hall that started leaning left and kept going as we moved down its length, twisting through a full 360 degrees. I don't mean it was actually moving. Imagine holding a long strip of paper, a hand gripping each end, and rotating one wrist to twist an end around. That was the shape the hallway made. The floor tilted and then became the wall as we walked, and we tromped across closed doors, the rooms beneath them echoing. Then we were walking on the ceiling, stepping over light fixtures, by the time the hall ended, it had rotated all the way around, and we were back on carpet again. That wasn't the weird part. The Helix Hall had opened into a grid of rooms with open doorways and no connecting corridors. After moving through these into an exit hallway, I called for a break. We hadn't been talking much, lost in our own thoughts. I said something about the weird hallway, and Nico seemed confused. Weird how? Twisting all the way around like that, you, you think it's significant? He didn't know what I was talking about. I asked him to describe the path we'd taken to get here. Raising a skeptical eyebrow, he did, 
Everything was right, except he called the part before the grid a long, straight hallway. Nothing unusual about it? He blinked. No, not that I saw. What are you getting at? You don't remember, like, walking on the ceiling? He frowned. Are you fucking with me? I closed my eyes. I could remember quite distinctly the awkwardness of walking against that steepening angle, shifting a foot to shuffle awkwardly through the trough of an edge turned into two sloping floors. The way the sound had changed as the surface beneath our shoes went from carpet to drywall, the changing angle of the light as it hit us from below, from the side, from above. I told him. When I'd finished, he looked sick and angry. If you're messing with me, man, I'm not, I swear, I'm not. He hunched back into himself, looking despite his height like a tiny cornered animal, hunted. This changes things. His voice was small. How do you mean? He sniffed. Alters the equation, you know. You and I can't even see things the same way anymore. We're lost. In every sense that matters. We vividly described our current surroundings to each other. Past things we'd seen. The octagon room. The pool. Everything matched up. It didn't make us feel any better. Maybe... I grasped for something to say. Nico was scared now. I could tell. More scared than me. He needed me to calm him down. Maybe I imagined it. You get that sense down here sometimes, right? Like, thinking's almost enough to make it real? He eyed me, uncertain. Maybe I was daydreaming and got confused. We've been under a lot of pressure. I mean, I don't know. A mistake. He looked at me carefully. You don't really believe that, do you? My face flushed. I... Don't just tell me what I want to hear, Rye. Don't ever do that. You got me? If I can't trust you... He swallowed. My face flushed. The accusation stung. Let's go back, he said. Let's go back and look, right now. Sort this out. No, I said at once, instantly terrified. I didn't want to know, because no resolution to this was good. One of us couldn't trust our senses, or both of us couldn't. Or something was much more wrong than that. Or, a voice whispered in my head, maybe he's lying. Maybe he did see it, and he's just pretending he didn't. I shook my head, but the voice persisted. Who knows what else he's pretending about? Maybe he was thinking the same thing about me. We should go back now, Nico said, miserable. And if we don't both see the same thing in that hall, we need to abort. Get the fuck out of here. Rethink this whole thing. This is fucked up, man. We're out of our depth. We're losing control. We can't quit now. I felt suddenly calm. If we let ourselves get spooked by every new thing that happens down here, we'll never figure out what we came down here to figure out. That's what we're looking for, right? The strange bits. I gestured ahead. We should see where this leads. Explore as far as we can before turning back. That was the plan, right? He stared yearningly back at the entrance to the grid of rooms, the path to the hallway that was or wasn't a helix. Then he turned his eyes to me, resentful, suspicious. Yeah, he said. It was. We kept going. The halls branched and spread out endlessly. We gave up trying to map other than our route back. We passed through regions of dark and regions of light. The decor rarely varied from its ubiquitous blandness. Sometimes little things were wrong. A door off its hinges lying neat and flat in the center of the hall. A light fixture sticking out of the carpet. We searched around these anomalies but never found anything useful. Some of the rooms got larger. Too big for rooms in a house. More like a school gymnasium. Still the same carpet, though. And it felt like we were seeing more of the anomalies the farther in and deeper down we got. 
an explosion of pipes and plumbing sticking out of a wall for no particular reason, weird cube-shaped extrusions or cavities in the edges of rooms. It was like the deeper we went, the more flexible the rules became, of architecture, of stability, of God knows what else. We were getting tired. Just before turning back, though, we found one last curious room. We could hear it before we opened the door. The room was the size of a squash court, though not quite as tall, the whole thing covered in green bathroom tile, even the inside of the door we came through. A sink rose serenely from its center. Scalding water blasted from the faucet, releasing clouds of billowing steam and filling the air with a moist, sticky warmth. The sink was full, water spilling over its sides and flowing down the porcelain like some artsy fountain, then streaming away across the tile, presumably according to some imperceptible tilt in the floor. It vanished down an open hallway, carpeted once again, slanting down at a steep angle from a corner of the room. We walked over to the hallway to peer down. It was closer to vertical than horizontal, dropping at a vicious angle. Where the hot stream hit the tilted carpet, it became black with mold, and the walls and ceiling of the tunnel were stained with rust and moss, like water had been coursing through it for a long, long time. From the slanting darkness rose a hot smell of rot. This feels different. Nico said. We walked back to the sink and tried to turn off the faucet, but the hot and cold knobs spun loosely. The scalding water rushed full force out of the tap, churning noisily in the basin. We're going to have a hell of a water bill, I joked, but then remembered something. The newspaper article from the history lady about the old fort built on the side of our house. It had said something about a natural spring, an underground cavern. Something felt on the verge of snapping into place, making sense, but I couldn't quite see it. A looking-glass held above this stream will show your troubles like a dream. I dug through my pack and found a tiny mirror in the survival kit. You were supposed to use it to signal planes. I held it above the stream, angling it around, not sure what I expected to see. There was nothing. Just the two of us reflected back. After a moment, the billowing steam fogged the mirror, erasing the reflection. I put it away, feeling deflated. Nico was beaming his flashlight down the tunnel, chasing the descending path of the stream. This would be rough going, steep and slick. We'd need better climbing gear, and I can't see how far down it goes. I took a deep breath. It feels like that's the way, though, doesn't it? He ran a hand through his hair, eyes still pulled down the shaft. Jesus, I hope not. I couldn't stop thinking about the wet tunnel as we retraced our steps. Images of it flashed through my mind. The desire to know what was past the reach of our flashlight beams, what was down there, was maddening. I was planning how soon we could come back down, what we'd have to bring with us, what it would take to keep pushing deeper. For better or worse, we ended up missing the long, twisting hallway on our way back. From the grid of rooms, we found a different door that led out much closer to the bottom of our pit, and decided without too much discussion to take it. I was glad Nico didn't press the point. Maybe he'd forgotten. I couldn't stand the thought of our perceptions of the world not agreeing. We passed through the last few hallways to the base of the shaft we'd come down. On the carpet, directly underneath, were our ropes, coiled up neat, grapple buddies still tied to the end. God damn it, Nico said with feeling, craning his head to glare accusingly up the shaft and fling curses up its length. We couldn't see anything unusual up there, not from down here. Our way back up had been cut off. We had extra grapples in our packs, but the originals didn't seem damaged, just detached. 
The shaft was too narrow to throw one all the way back up without hitting a wall, so we settled for hooking a doorway halfway up. Our position now was much more precarious. We couldn't tell if the grapple was set properly, we just had to trust it. Nico volunteered to go first. From the ground below, I watched him climb, anxious. And for some reason, that was the moment I finally accepted that I was still in love with him. I'd tried so hard to convince myself I wasn't, that I'd moved on, wrung him out of my heart, that all we had was an especially deep friendship. But watching him dangle from that rope, knowing he could fall at any second, I couldn't pretend anymore. I'd never stopped loving him. I didn't know how. Maybe I never would. Our perceptions of the world had never fucking agreed. He was a good climber. He made it to the sideways door without incident. From there, it was just a matter of taking things in stages to get back up to the top. Each of the vertical rooms we passed served as a miniature base camp, a place to rest before flinging the grapple another few dozen feet to the next doorway. We'd both climb up and do it again. Eventually, we made it back to the top. It was like a mountaineering expedition, kind of, except inside a house. So, not at all, I suppose. The camcorder was where we'd left it, sitting on the carpet pointed at the pit. The door frame where the grapples had been attached wasn't damaged. We'd seated them pretty firmly, so this suggested that rather than being yanked free from below, someone had carefully unhooked them from up here. Of course, the ropes had also been carefully coiled at the bottom. Someone had to have done that from down there. I didn't want to watch the tape, not while we were still downstairs, but Nico, face grim, insisted. So I huddled miserably beside him while we watched the footage on the tiny flip-out screen. The tape had run to the end, so we backed it up a bit and hit play. To our dismay, we immediately saw that the ropes were going over the edge right to the end of the tape. Whatever happened, it had been after the tape ran out. Nico held down the rewind button and we settled in for a long haul, but after only a few seconds we saw ourselves spring back up from the pit in fast motion, first me and then him, dicker with the grapples and rope for a few minutes, then zip over to the camera to turn it on. I swear the tape was at the beginning, Nico said. There should have been two hours of space. This is like five minutes at most. What the hell? He let go of the rewind button and let the tape play. We watched in numb frustration as everything we'd done earlier played back. The same discussions about rope and seating the grapples, the same lame jokes failing to ease tension. There wasn't much point to watching it all unfold again. We just didn't know what else to do. On the tiny screen, I was standing a pace or two back, wondering aloud how much stuff we should take down with us. I hated how my voice sounded on tape, how my face looked. I always had. Even on the tiny screen, I could see red blotches. On the screen, a miniature Nico sat on the edge of the pit, adjusting his ropes. Distorted by the shitty camcorder speaker, he said, How far down do you think this goes? My image shrugged, said, We should possibly go much deeper. My skin crawled. Oh my god. Nico glanced at me. What? That's not what I said. My head was spinning. What had I said? Something like, it can't possibly go much deeper, maybe. Not that. Screen Nico said, You're right. In fact, we shouldn't, you and I, come back up this way at all. No. We should go down, and we should let's stay down there, down and deep. His voice sounded strained, but he pulled his rope tight, smartly. Don't come back till we find it, man. What it is we need to find. Where it gripped the camcorder, Nico's hand was pale. I didn't say that either, he breathed. Oh my god, I mean, I said something about that long, some of those words and phrases maybe, but they're different, they're fucking different. I shushed him, because the voices on the tape were speaking again. But now the words were familiar, mundane. 
We both watched the screen, afraid to blink, but nothing else seemed changed. Everything played out as we remembered. Except now, every word and gesture cost a spike of uncertainty. Had I said that? Exactly that? Had I moved my arm that way? Stood in precisely that spot? Screen Nico started to repel. The camera focused on my legs as I stood up top, watching him descend. On the screen, I waited, then finally clipped onto the rope once he'd made it to the bottom. Video Ryan checked his harness, took a deep breath, and started down. He paused just before his head dropped out of frame to call down to Nico. Coming down! I remembered saying that. Then he turned and looked straight at the camera. Straight into the lens. He held the gaze for a long moment. Then glanced, very deliberately, down the shaft and back to the camera, wide-eyed. His head dropped out of sight. We sat frozen, watching the video of the empty hall for another thirty seconds, until the tape reached its end and clunked to a stop. Nico breathed slowly out. Jesus! He closed the screen and set the camera down, backing away from it like it was a bomb. Jesus fucking Christ! I kept staring at it. A looking-glass held above this stream. Jesus, he kept muttering. Jesus. We slept in the big room that night because we always had low-level headaches now when we went upstairs. Also, because I thought I'd heard someone up there rummaging in the kitchen. The housemates were all supposed to be at a party. Hello, I'd called, but no one answered. The noises stopped, though. We were becoming trolls, hiding from sounds, afraid to go out under the sky, only venturing from our cave to get more supplies, stock up for further ventures down. I slept under the foosball table, gathering dust. No one but us had been down here for weeks. You won't be surprised to hear I had nightmares. I replayed the tape in my dreams, over and over. Each time I rewound to the very beginning, intent to watch it through, make sure there wasn't some clue I'd missed. And each time the tape was different. It was always Nico and the pit and I, but never the same. And whenever something changed, fresh dread flooded through me. Some of the changes were slight, barely there, and I strained to catch the altered words, the different glances. Sometimes our words were lightly rearranged, as if to make cryptic ciphers, hidden meanings on the verge of making sense but never quite resolving. In some of these variations, Nico and I were together, a couple. I could tell from the words we used, the way we looked at each other, Nothing that would have been obvious to anyone but me. I watched these scenes over and over, rewinding to catch the little glances, secret smiles. There were other, worse versions. There were dream tapes where a gaunt Ryan and Nico fought each other for control of the camera, staring manic into the lens with frantic mouths full of rotting teeth, skin flaking beneath torn and faded rags sticky with dried blood, like they'd been trapped down there for months. They clawed at the lens, as if trying to climb into it as if somehow it were a way back out. There were tapes where we screamed at our watcher selves to go away, to never come down again, that what was down there would kill us. There were others, far worse, where we grinned like wolves, invited ourselves to come down deep and stay. There were tapes where the grapple failed and Nico or I fell, the sound of a sickening crunch reverberating up the shaft. There were tapes where we looked right into the lens and stepped willingly off the edge. There were shots of the pit with nothing else there, no grapples, no ropes, no us. There were shots where the carpet was crawling with beetles. There were shots where the walls were made of meat. And on one tape, and I rewound and rewatched this over and over in the dream, 
Water from all the hallways poured into the pit, a four-sided waterfall. The carpets were black and sticky with moss trailing down into the vertical shaft, the air thick with steam. Something jostled the camera and it surged forward with the tide, water slashing against the lens, until the scalding stream carried it over the edge and it fell straight down into that boiling pit, surrounded by water on every side, gathering speed, falling into wet and steaming dark faster and faster and faster. I would jerk awake at this point, coated in sweat, and try not to fall back asleep. But when I did, I'd find myself rewinding the tape yet again and pressing play, hoping this time the footage would return to normal. It was always changed, and I'd have to watch it all over from the beginning, hoping this version would show something useful, a hint, a clue, an answer. I hope you're enjoying this audio version of Subcutanean, but this is just one way the story could go. Find out how to get your own unique version by searching for Subcutanean on Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, or Indiegogo. And thanks for listening.